Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Welcome to Exploring Missions. It is a joy to have you here this weekend and we're praying that God is using you. Uh, What's exciting about this program is hearing how God is using people uh, everywhere and doing many, many different things. And the people who listen they're probably involved in doing missions as well. And uh, they're praying, they're giving, uh, and they're going. Those are areas that are needed, and we pray the Lord for the opportunity to bring this program to you. American Family Radio considers it a, a real opportunity because of part of what our mission statement says, that to, to aid the church in carrying the Great Commission and aid that church in fulfilling the Great Commission at home and abroad. And today we're going to do a combination of that because we're talking about someone who's in the States right now, but their ministry is here but also in a foreign country, and God is able to use that. And because of the technology that God has, you can do that. It's amazing how God is using the technology that we have in our day to train and evangelize. So our guest today is Maurice Singh. Maurice, you were on last weekend sharing with us about what God has done. And so I want you to tell us again the ministry that you're a part of, the the, the city that you're a part of, and update everyone because we have people that did not listen last week. Uh, our ministry is called Look Unto Jesus Ministries. Uh, we are uh, located in Bangalore, India. Uh, our ministry was started in the year 1976 by my mom and my dad. We have an orphanage and a church planting ministry that is primarily focused on reaching people that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ before. And uh, so we uh, have a ministry for these people, and uh, we can uh, we continue to uh, reach the unreached people of India. And your mom and your sister are there in India while you're here in the States right now? Right now, yes, they are in India, and uh, they are overseeing uh, the ministry right now and uh, the orphanage as well, and uh, uh, they're taking care of it all. And the name of the city you've already said is? Is Bangalore. And Bangalore is in the southern part of India? It is, and it is one of the largest cities of India. Uh, It is estimated that we have a population of over 11 million people. And uh, it is also known as the Silicon Valley of Asia because of all the computer companies that have saturated in the city of Bangalore. And so it is a very unique city. There's a lot of richness. There are a lot of rich people. But at the same time, there's extreme poverty. Just to give you an example, it's estimated that there are over 1.5 million children that are living on the streets of Bangalore alone. Say that number once more. I have to get my mind around that. 1.5 million children. That's astonishing. 
And so there's definitely a huge need. And uh, it is an interesting uh, site because you, here you have the wealthy and the influential uh, do, uh, that make money off the IT and the computer companies. Uh, but on the other hand, you have children starving on the street right next door. Does the caste system aid keep that kind of the way it is? In other words, the haves have it and the have-nots continue to have it? Yeah, I think it plays a huge role in the mindset of it because uh, uh, there might be a millionaire and there might be his neighbor might be starving and he doesn't think anything about it because he thinks that's his fate and that's he was born into it and that's what he was meant to deal with. Well, Maurice, again, it's great to have you. If they wanted to contact you about the ministry, how would they do that? Uh, The information of our ministry uh, um, is on one of our partner websites in the United States. Uh, We don't have our own website for security reasons, uh, but uh, we have partnered uh, with Global Outreach International that is based in Tupelo, Mississippi, and so if you will go to globaloutreachinternational.org uh, and uh, if you will look up Look Unto Jesus Ministries India, you'll find our ministry over there and uh, the details uh, that you would need uh, about our ministry. We also have a Facebook page. If you will type in Look Unto Jesus Ministries, uh, you will find our ministry on Facebook for regular updates. Uh, we try and it to, is a blessing. Let me share that with uh, people. And you get firsthand information of what God's doing there in Bangalore. Yes, and that is the best way for people to keep in touch on a regular basis and get day-to-day information and how they can pray for us and what's going on. And uh, so uh, Facebook would be a medium to follow us uh, on a regular basis to get more information. And God said, you shall be witnesses of me uh, in, in here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And one of the men who heard that when Jesus said that was the Apostle Thomas. And the Apostle Thomas would, we know, we don't know everything about all the apostles and where all they went. We know some. Uh, we know some of the speculation that have become probability, but with Thomas, we know he made his way to India. So India is one of those uh, countries that have had the gospel in it for many, many years. In fact, uh, Thomas was martyred not too far from where we live. I thought it was, because uh, I've looked that up where it was, and I thought that was close to Bangalore. Yeah, he was martyred in a city called uh, Chennai, and uh, even today, there is a monument in his name where they have this uh, sculpture that depicts how he was killed. While he was stabbed uh, from the back with a crowbar while he was kneeling down and praying in the morning. So this guy who said, I'll not believe unless, did believe. <laughs> and <laughs> Absolutely. I-, I think Thomas made the greatest profession of all the professions of who Christ is my Lord and my God. And that's what we pray you would do. After you hear what God's doing, I pray you'd be like Thomas and say, my Lord and my God, and just fall on your face before him and then follow him. That's what Thomas did. With that in mind, I want to bring people up. And this is part two. Last week, Maurice was here. And Maurice, you started in sharing a story. And we had to, because of time, we had to shorten it so severely. 
that a lot of the details were left out. And when I knew those details, because I had heard the long story, I said, I've got to have Maurice back because we see God's hand in this story moving so strongly that I, I feel like people need the long version, not the, the you know shortened version. Would you mind sharing that story with us? Sure. Um, it's a story about, uh, as I had mentioned last week, about a Hindu priest called uh, Sune Gauda. Uh, he had been a Hindu priest all his life, and so were his uh, father and grandfather, because the priesthood is passed on uh, through generations due to the caste system. And so this man, Sone Gauda, has been a Hindu priest uh, in the largest temple of his village. And uh, one of the things that started happening, and I had not met him during this time, was his wife began having health issues. And uh, when she started having health issues, he's, they took uh, her to a different hospitals and uh, different doctors investigated on her. They could not find a cure. She had an issue with her kidneys. They could not find a cure or a solution to the problem that uh, she was having. And uh, after going to several places, uh, he brought her to the Bangalore Baptist Hospital, which is not too far from where we are. And while he was in that hospital... Uh, Sone Gauda was waiting for the doctor, and his wife was, and uh, while they were waiting, somebody came by and handed him a copy of the New Testament. Him being a Hindu priest, you know, he just receives that uh, copy of the New Testament and sarcastically just sets it aside because it had nothing to do with him, and he didn't want anything to do with it. But after they had met with the doctor a few minutes later, the doctor suggested that they stay in the hospital for a couple of days uh, for further investigation. And um, so they agreed. Out of boredom in that hospital room with nothing to do, Sonegoda decides to just look at the New Testament that somebody had given him. And as he goes through it, and as he begins to read the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, right in the beginning, the words of Christ begins to captivate him, and he's not able to put it down. And he continues to read and read and read, and uh, the Holy Spirit continues to work in his heart. And um, from what he told me, he read the entire New Testament that day, in a stretch of 10 hours. He just could not put it down because the words of Christ and the Word of God was so intriguing. And so after he had completed the uh, reading the entire New Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit was doing a work in his heart, and uh, he did not want to admit that or he did not want to yield to it. But what happened the following day after the doctor had done and invest several investigations on his wife, the doctor concluded that the only option would be for her to have a surgery, but it would be a very critical surgery, and he said more than likely she may not make it through the surgery, but that would be the only option. There was no other option. So reluctantly, both the husband and wife agree to this surgery, and at the same time, they come to the conclusion, more than likely, she's not going to live past the surgery. So the following day, um, the doctor 
takes his wife into the operation theater, uh, and he's waiting outside. And during that time, he decides, well, I have been trying all kinds of methods all my life. I have been asking my God to save my life all my life. Maybe I should test this new God that I read in the New Testament. And so he decides that he's going to test this new God to see if he is truly the real God. And so in his own way, he says a prayer in his heart to Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus, if you are the true God that you claim to be in this book, prove to me by bringing my wife alive from this operation. And that was him being in the (laughs) hospital having nothing to do, and God used that loneliness and that, you know, boredom mm-hmm. to make him read, mm-hmm. and this is he's come this far. Amen. Go and ahead. And so he prays this prayer, and he's sitting outside the operation theater. On the other hand, his family and relatives are preparing for his wife's funeral because they are expecting that she would not make it through. And while this is happening, the doctor never came out of the operation theater because technically it was supposed to be a two-hour surgery. It had been four hours and the doctor didn't come out. And so he was beginning to get worried. After about four hours, the doctor walks out of the operation theater and he comes to Sonegoda and he says, I don't know what to tell you, but when we went in there, we could not find what we were looking for. And so he said, your wife is perfectly fine as long as she continues to take the medicine that I'm going to prescribe for the rest of her life. She's going to be absolutely fine. And she comes out of that operation theater alive. Now, this is after people in her village were preparing for her burial. Mm -hmm. They're expecting a body any time while this was going on. And so... After the doctor said these words, Sonegoda did not know how to respond because now the God that he had challenged responded and now it was his turn to respond. And he did not know how to respond because in his heart he knew the obvious response would be to surrender, to worship, you know, but he did not want to do that. So to make a long story short, after they got... Uh, discharged from the hospital. They came back home. Everybody's shocked to see her alive. And uh, But the Lord was continuing to work in his heart because there was, uh, uh, there was a battle going on within himself. And so Sonegoda contacted one of our pastors in that village, and he said, take me to somebody that can teach me this Bible more. And that's when our pastor brought him to me, and that was my first connection with him. Now, let's make sure everybody knows this. Uh, In your life earlier, making decisions to follow the Lord, and it brought you to Blue Mountain College, which is in northeast Mississippi, and there you had trained, and it's a great Bible school. Mm -hmm. It's a great school, and their Bible department is amazing. We know mm-hmm. both. I'm a graduate, so I am biased. I'll say that. And then Southwestern Seminary in mm-hmm. Fort Worth, Texas. So God had prepared you, I would say, with discipleship and academics and answers 
mm-hmm. at this point in time. So you were at a very important place there in India at that time. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, especially in the context of Sonegoda, uh, he wanted someone that would be able to uh, teach the Bible that has been educated well. And so my education here in the United States absolutely played a huge role in uh, helping me to teach the Word in itself, uh, to exegete the Word to him. Uh, because as uh, as he met me, the, the events that followed uh, was so crucial where I had to be good with my exegesis in order for me to be able to lead him in the right path. Because when we met and he told me this story, the uh, story of how God had been working in his life, um, he had determined in his mind that he was going to argue with me to the point where I would say to him that the truth in the Hindu scripture is not any different from the truth in the Bible. And that way he could go home happy and continue to do what he wanted to do. And so that's where the real challenge arose because, you know, um, Hinduism has such a wide range of beliefs. And every time I would teach him the Bible, every time I would present a truth, he would try to present an alternate truth by saying, well, our scripture says something similar to this. Our scripture has a similar truth, so it's not really different. And actually, this went on for about two months. Every time I would present a truth to him, from the Bible, he would say, well, our scripture says this as well. It may not be the same words, but it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's, we have a similar story. So it turned out to be an uphill battle, and that's when I started seeking God uh, to give me a direction into, as to how to deal with it because it just seemed like I was presenting my truth and he was holding on to his truth, and we were not making much progress So it was during this time I felt like God was trying to teach me that basically what I had been doing all this while was I was waging the battle from behind the line. But sometimes you need to get into the enemy's territory. And by learning that, what I started doing that was I started exploring the Hindu scriptures and I started studying it. And I started making uh, comparisons with the Bible, and uh, uh, and I started using the Sanskrit language in itself uh, to try to exegete the Hindu scripture, uh, to say. And so, as I was doing that, and as I was studying the Vedas, Vedas uh, is a Sanskrit word for book uh, in Hinduism. And so they have four Vedas, four books, and the oldest book is called the Rig Veda, which they value the most. And as I had been studying the Rig Veda, and uh, towards the end of the book where it talks about the fall of man and the redemption, the need for redemption and the hope of man, and uh, it talks about several sacrifices that is needed uh, for the sins of man, and it also talks about the concept of prajapati. It's a... The word prajapati in Sanskrit means uh, a sinless sacrifice. And so so the book goes on to say the ultimate way for redemption is for a prajapati, a sinless sacrifice. 
And the moment I locked on to that and the moment God showed me that, I was like, wait a second. This book is asking a question that my book answers. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and so the next time Sonegoda came and he started trying to defend with his scripture, I said, well, I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to use your scripture this time. Yeah. And I said, here's something I found in the Rig Veda that talks about the Prajapati, the sinless sacrifice. And your book, actually, the Rig Veda ends with a question by saying, who will be the Prajapati for the sins of man? And I said, your book is asking the question my book can answer. <laughs> and the Prajapati you're looking for is none other than Jesus Christ. You can't help but think about Paul in the, book, in, in the city of Athens, you know, this monument mm-hmm. or what, you know, sacrifice or statue to the unknown God. Let me tell you this, God. Mm-hmm. So who, should, who shall give this sinless sacrifice? What an opportunity. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and it, I felt like God was definitely revealing that to me. And that was the turning point in the life of Sonegoda. At that moment, he quit asking questions. He quit defending. He surrendered himself to Christ. His family surrendered to Christ. And God has been using his family in a mighty way uh, for uh, the kingdom because he is able to reach people that I cannot reach or anybody else, as a matter of fact. And uh, his conversion has caused curiosity among several Hindu priests which led him to present the gospel to them. Okay. And, uh, so, you know, you, you equipped him so he could equip others. Mm-hmm. Amen. And uh, so it turned into an underground Bible study for Hindu priests. And uh, so more and more Hindu priests started getting curious about how uh, the life of Sonegoda had changed and why is it different. And so... He meets with them even now, even while I'm in the United States. He meets with them once a week, uh, and he uses the teaching that I give him to present uh, to them and teaches them the Bible. And these 23 Hindu priests gather underground in the middle of the night where nobody's aware of, and they learn the Bible. And uh, sometimes I get random phone calls from these Hindu priests saying, uh, my name is so-and-so, I'm a priest of this temple, please don't tell anybody I called you, but <laughs> would you please pray for me? Amen. And uh, so God is using the life of Sonegoda uh, to reach many more Hindu priests. So Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night, so the Hindu priests are coming to your friend by night, mm-hmm. and he's teaching them and training them. Well, when I hear that story, I can't help but think about how God used that person that gave that New Testament to him. Mm-hmm. Is that legal in, in Bangalore? No, technically it is illegal. Technically, it is, I thought it was. Yes. And here's a person who is obeying God rather than man, mm-hmm. and God brings about a great work. Amen. Mm-hmm. Maurice, another story that I, and we've got about five minutes, four minutes to tell this story about a lady who came to follow Christ, and she was disowned by her family. Mm-hmm. But, man, she was accepted in God's family, wasn't she? Oh, absolutely. This is one of my favorite stories, and I think it will be for the rest of my life. Uh, about two years ago, um, I was preparing a group of people in our church that was getting ready for baptism. And uh, Muniama is a 65-year-old lady, 
and she had surrendered her life to Christ. And she used to come to church regularly, and um, she loved the Lord. And uh, when we were getting ready for baptism, she wanted to be baptized. Her family was okay with her coming to church, but when she made the decision to be baptized, that's when it raised up red flags, and uh, her family started getting upset with it, and they opposed the idea of her being baptized. And so what happened, um, as we were preparing for the baptism service, uh, there were about 28 people that were going to be baptized on that day. The previous night, uh, Muniyama's son came, uh, and he said that he totally opposed the idea of his mother being baptized, and if we did baptize her, that our church would face the consequences, and uh, and so he suggested that we don't baptize her. And uh, he made several threats and used several harsh words. So as a church, we decided maybe we should wait uh, in baptizing her for a few more days and then try to sort the situation out, and then maybe we can baptize her. But on that Sunday, as I had baptized 27 people, and as I was about to walk out of the baptismal tank, there was a voice that came from the audience, and that said, wait, you haven't baptized me yet. <laughs> and it was the voice of the 65-year-old Muniemba. And she was hard of hearing, so I guess she did not understand everything. And so when she came forward, I explained to her, I said, maybe we should wait for a few days, make things right with your son, and then we can baptize you. And, uh, but she said, no. no. She said, it is my life. I made the decision. It doesn't matter what my son has to say. I want to be baptized now. And as she was saying those words, she voluntarily got into the baptismal tank. And that, let me tell you, that was the first time somebody actually forced me to baptize them. And she stood in front of me and she said, baptize me now. It doesn't Hallelujah. matter what my son says. And so I baptized her on that day. But that decision came with a price. Her son started persecuting her. He disowned her. He would not feed her well. He would not take care of her. And um, so she went through a lot of difficulty, but yet in the midst of it all, she would praise God and thank God for who he is. Amen. A few months ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. She had a tumor in her uh, jaw, and her son would not take care. He would not take her to the hospital. He would not do anything. He wanted her to die in pain because she had surrendered to Christ. To make a long story short, she went through that pain. In the midst of that pain, you could hear her praying for her son that he would come to Christ. Amen. And she stood strong in her faith and she passed away in the month of December. And in her faith, even, even before she died, she prayed that God take me home, and her son heard that. And when she did that, and after she died, her death caused her son and the rest of the family to want to come to Christ. That's what God has done, continues to do. Maurice, thank you for being with us. Thank you.
you. This is Exploring Missions. Thank you for listening, and we pray that God would use you where you are in your life.